Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. Good morning and happy 2023 to everyone. I am thankful to be able to preach to you today on New Year's Day. I hope your Christmas was a joyful time spent with family and friends, but I know for many people it was a busy and stressful season of holiday travel, of wrapping gifts, of high expectations, and of a lot of dishes for a lot of people. As you get through this busy season and you're tired, you come to a day like today and you're excited for something new, a new start. Many of us do this thing we call making a New Year's resolution. Many of us ate too much food during the holiday season and maybe your New Year's resolution is to eat less or to diet or to exercise more. Some of us make New Year's resolutions to read the Bible more, or to read more in general, watch less TV, use social media less. But for those of you that have gym memberships, you know that the first two weeks of the year are the absolute worst time to go to the gym. Why? Well, you walk in and every bench, every treadmill, every machine is full of people who made their New Year's resolution to go to the gym every day. But notice I only said the first two weeks. Why is that? Well, as January crawls on and people wake up before work and it's freezing cold, or they try to go after work and it's dark, or you've worked out every day for a week and your muscles are so sore, you miss a day. Or you miss a week. And your New Year's resolution to go to the gym every day fails. And so what? You give up. You say, well, I tried maybe next year. And so the gym empties out again and it's just the same people as it was. And this is a testament to two things, really, that New Year's resolutions fail all the time. Change is difficult and failure is easy. And this, I think, is the same when we're trying to practice biblical ethics. When we try to practice the law of the Bible, we realize, like New Year's resolutions, that change is difficult. Changing the way in which we act all the time to further reflect on what the Bible says is difficult. And failing in it is easy. Failing to practice righteousness is easy. And Paul, in the, letter, in the passage we're talking about today, to the church in Ephesus, is talking about this idea. He's writing in general to them to talk about unity of the church to talk about truth, to talk about what the Bible actually says and how to practice that. But this passage in particular from Ephesians 4 is talking about putting off the old self, the old sinful self, and putting on the new self, the righteous one. With that in mind, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word from Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from a life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, 
But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Before I get further into the sermon, I want to take a moment to acknowledge those of you who have been hurt by sermons like this. There are many of you in this room who have heard sermons or pastors or authority figures, friends or family who use God's law instead of God's grace more often. They will say things like, if you do not do exactly what I think you should do, or if you, if you sin like you're sinning, or you make the choices that you're making, you're going to go to hell. Or if you don't do exactly as I think you should do, if you do not follow the letter of the law, you're not going to heaven. I know that many of you have been hurt in this way, but I want you to know that here at Trinity, we believe that grace changes everything. We believe that, as Paul says earlier in Ephesians, it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. This is not of your own works. This is not of your own doing. What does that mean? We say it in youth group every week. Nothing can take away the love of God that Jesus died to give me. I have them say that every week because if they forget anything I taught them, I want them to remember that. Nothing can take away the love of God that Jesus died to give me. Why? Because you have been justified. You've been justified by God's grace. You've been saved. Salvation is the beginning of your life as a Christian. It's not the end of it. It's not something that you work towards and hope to achieve one day so that you get to heaven and you maybe did good enough to earn it. You maybe didn't sin enough to earn it. That's not true. You have been saved when you became a Christian. Christmas, we spent the whole season learning that we needed Jesus to be born, to live, to die, to live that perfect life, to rise again so that his righteousness may be counted as our own so that we might be saved. We just went through a whole season to learn that. So what? Right? If we've been saved, then now what? What's, what's with the rest of our lives? What do we do? Do we just sin knowing that we're always forgiven? By no means. That's what Paul is talking about here, the old self and the new self. Look with me at verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now that might catch you a second. You might see that word Gentiles and you think, okay, I know that one. Those are people who are not Jewish. Okay, well, now I'm confused because is Paul saying that you can only be saved if you're Jewish? No, it's a little complicated here, and this is a, an instance where the Greek language translated to the English needs a little more refinement or understanding. The Greek word here is ethnos, used for Gentile. It literally means the people, the nations, ethnos. Paul is saying the people who are not you, the people who I'm not writing to, right? Who is he writing to? He's writing to Gentile and Jewish believers, right? Non-Jewish people and Jewish people in Ephesus. He's saying, you are the believers. Don't act like the non-believers. 
Why? Because you're not non-believers, you're believers. He's saying don't act like who you aren't. You are believers. He says even that the non-believers have a futility of their minds, or a word literally meaning emptiness. He's saying that there is nothing for you in thinking like a non-believer. That is an old way of thinking. That is a way that you might have thought when you didn't believe. Don't act like that. Don't think like that because you believe. He's making that distinction. Look to verses 18 and 19. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That's tough. Paul is being tough on non-believers, and he's being honest about it. You might see that phrase, hardness of heart, and you might recognize it. From Exodus 9, where Pharaoh's heart is hardened to what Moses and Aaron are trying to say to him. What does that mean? There are walls put up in his heart that he would not hear what is true. No matter how much they told him what is true, he would not hear it. Hardness of heart is an ignorance of the truth. It's a callousness. It's a, he would not, you would not listen to the truth even if it was said to you. Paul is saying that non-believers do not listen to what is true, but what does he say next? Verse 20, that is not the way that you learn Christ. He's saying you know better. He's saying you do not have a hardness of heart. You do not have walls put up because you know better. You were taught Christ. Your heart was softened, softened to Christ's truth. You have heard it and you have believed it. Look then to verses 21 through 22, assuming that you have heard about him. Yes. And you were taught in him. Yes. As the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Paul is saying, put off the old self, the unbeliever, the one who has a hardness of heart, the one who is callous to truth, put off that old self. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, whoa, hold on, wait a second. I sin sometimes. I'm ignorant of truth. I feel like my heart is hardened to the truth. I sometimes act like the sinner. Are you saying that Paul is saying, I'm not a believer? Are you saying that Paul is saying, it's just easy, just stop sinning. Just stop being the old self, be the new self. No, I'm not saying that. In fact, the same Paul in Romans 7, 13 through 20, describes his own relationship to sin, and it's one that you might relate to, that I might relate to. Now, I'm going to read this passage. It's a little bit of a lengthy one, and it's complex, so stick with me. It deserves its own sermon, but I want you to pay attention to the way that Paul talks about his own relationship with sin. Is he saying it's just easy? Just, just stop sinning. Just be the new self. Romans 7, 13 through 20. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. 
Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil that I do not want, I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now again, a complex passage, but what did you hear? Is Paul saying, it's easy, stop sinning like me, I just stop sinning. No, he's saying, this is absurd. This sin is absurd. Why do I keep doing the thing that harms me, that I know is not good? It's the same for us too, right? That we can acknowledge sin, we know when we're sinning, we know it's bad for us, and we keep doing it. The only word for that is absurd. Paul is not saying it's easy. We feel like we're stuck in these cycles of sin that cause shame, and then we repent, and we ask for forgiveness, and we try to do better, and then the cycle will begin again, and we sin again. The problem is this. We think of sin and righteousness like New Year's resolutions. As isolated attempts to be freed from sin, but not being good enough. And we sin, and we fail. And we think God is angry with us, and we reside in our shame, and we reside in our sin. And again, change is difficult. Failure is easy. It's easy to just stay there. It's easy to not try again. But notice what Paul says, verses 22 through 24 of the Ephesians passage, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed by the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is saying this, who you think you are changes how you act. Who you believe yourself to be will impact how you act, right? We know that to be true. In seminary, I had a professor, he's my Greek professor, and when he talked about this passage, he said the language in this passage uh, is kind of a paradox, because it means two things. He said the, the language of taking off the old self and putting on the new self is like clothes. It's like taking off the old, dirty clothes and putting on the new, clean ones. At the same time, it's a one-time thing. It is becoming a new self. It is putting on the new clothes, becoming the new self. How can it be both? How can it be taking off the old self, putting on the new self, and being the new self, and not being the old self? How does that make any sense? We have two words to describe this in Reformed theology, justification and sanctification. Justification is this, right? Is that at the moment of your salvation, when Jesus died on the cross and you were saved, you were justified. Your sins were forgiven, and the righteousness of Christ's life was counted as your own. Meaning that in the eyes of God, you are the new righteous self. You've become the new self is a one-time act. You've become the new self. You are no longer the old sinning self. You are the new righteous self. However, we also have sanctification. Sanctification is a process. It is a process of dying more and more to sin 
and living more and more to righteousness. Think back to that clothes analogy I was talking about. It is, imagine you become the new self. It is right for you to wear new clothes, right? That is who you are underneath the clothes. Is you are the new self who should wear new clothes, but sometimes you put on the old ones. Sanctification is the process of taking off the old clothes and putting on the new that is right for you to wear. When I was in high school, I ran track. Now, if I were to ask all of you individually, what events do you think I ran? I know that you'd probably say long distance runner. He's a skinny boy. <laughs> probably ran long distance. No, I was a sprinter. I loved the 100 meter dash out of any other race. Now, I would do, you know, 200, 400 relays, you know, anything that my coaches need me to do, but I loved the 100, and I would ask every week, can I run the 100? I want to run the 100. It's exciting, it's quick, it's fast. It's the, it's the one at the Olympics everyone watches, right? I loved it. And one thing I loved about it is that you, you practice all season to shave off like milliseconds. Like if you could cut half a second off your 100 time, that was a big deal. And so 100 runners will like check their times just to see if they got a little bit better. And I would practice five, six days a week. I'd be out on the track running. I would be in the gym lifting weights. I'd be practicing my block starts every day, all season, to try to get a little bit better. And then the, the meet would come on a Saturday. And I'd run the 100. And I worked all week to try really hard to cut off those milliseconds. And I was slower than the week before. And then maybe the next week, I'd do it again. I'd work really hard. And I was a little bit faster and then maybe the next week a little bit faster, and then maybe the next week I was slower than I'd been all season. Now here's the thing, if I had looked at each of those isolated weeks and I'd seen myself getting slower after I just worked hard all week, I would have given up. What's the point of me working really hard all week, running really fast, doing repeat 400s, which if you're a track runner, you know that's a terrible thing. If you do that and you run slower, what's the point? But I knew that when I get to the end of the season and I looked back to where I started and my time, the 100 that I ran, and the time that I ran at the end of the season, I had always gotten better. I had always gotten faster. And sometimes I think about sanctification in the same way. Right? That we want our improvement in righteousness to be better every day. We want to sin less every day. We always want to be getting more righteous and doing better and treating people better and sinning less every day. It doesn't look like that. For those of you that grew up in the church and went to summer camps, think about coming back with the summer camp high, right? You're like, yes, like, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm excited about this. I'm going to read my Bible every day, and I'm going to treat my friends better. And then a few weeks go by, and you're bored, and you're at home again, and those things start to dull. Or think about, like, you know what? I'm actually going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stop gossiping later in life, right? I'm going to stop lying. I'm going to treat people better. I'm going to stop sinning. And maybe, you know, you start in the mornings with your morning devotions before work, and you're able to get into that rhythm and then maybe something happens, like suffering. Or maybe just something happens in your life where you just go back and you start sinning and gossiping and lying again, right? And we, look at, we might look at those isolated attempts and being like, what happened? I thought I was supposed to be getting more righteous over time. 
But when you get to, if you've been a Christian for a while, and you get to a point down the road, I hope you can look back and see, like, oh, actually, even in those hard times, even those times where I felt like I was stuck in sin, and even in those times where I felt like I was being really righteous, like, God was at work that whole time. That I don't struggle with the same things I used to as much as I do now. Like, I've actually learned more about God. I've actually grown more in my righteousness. But oftentimes when we live with ourselves every day, it's difficult to see growth. But when you look back, you see it. Blake used an example with me last week of a guy using a yo-yo on an escalator. Right? That the yo-yo is going up and down as he's going up the escalator, but ultimately gets to the top and the yo-yo has gotten to the top as well. Right? There are, there are peaks and troughs in our sanctification, but ultimately it's an upward slope. It is getting better. But there's one more point I need to make about sanctification. We're, we're missing a chunk. Look with me to verse 24. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Created after the likeness of God in righteousness. Here's the thing. We just went through a season where we learned that the whole point is that we could not do it on our own, that Jesus needed to be born as a man, to live the perfect life, to die as a sacrifice and rise again because we could not save ourselves. We are not good enough. We are not righteous enough to do it on our own. So what makes you think that you're righteous enough to make yourself in the likeness of God? The point here in this last this last verse is that it's not us that sanctifies ourselves, it's God's grace. It is not something that you do on your own. One of my favorite examples of this comes from C.S. Lewis's The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Some of you know it. In it, Edmund and Lucy Pevensey, two of the main characters, uh, go to Narnia, but they accidentally bring along their cousin Eustace Scrub, which if you judge from the name, C.S. Lewis describes him as insufferable. He is just not very nice. He is rude to everyone. He is mean to everyone. And King Caspian is going on this voyage across the seas, and Eustace is there, and he's just a thorn in everyone's side. And it gets to a point in the book where Eustace finds this dragon's hoard of treasure, and he falls asleep on it, and Lewis says that he dreamed greedy thoughts. And he woke up, and he had turned into a dragon. And here's the thing, Eustace now looked like a monster, but he realized that through this whole journey, he'd actually been a monster on the inside. He now just looked like it. And over the next few pages, Eustace is having a change of heart. He's realizing what a burden he had been to his friends and to his family, and he's, he's changing, but he still looks like a dragon. He has on the old self, and what happens? Who shows up? Aslan. He says to Eustace, follow me, and he does. Eustace follows Aslan, and Aslan says, undress yourself. And so Eustace begins clawing at his skin and his scales, and he's trying to take off this old form, this old self. He's trying to take off the old dirty clothes, and he can't do it. He tries three times. He can't do it on his own. And so what happens? Aslan tears into him. He painfully rips off the skin and the scales, and it's difficult, but he does it, and he reveals Eustace, the boy. But not the same boy. He's changed. He has had a change of heart, though he looks the same. See, 
as many of you know, Aslan is Jesus in the books, right? C.S. Lewis is, you know, he, he makes it pretty clear Aslan is the Jesus figure. And it's an example, of, again, taking off the old self and putting on the new, it's not that easy. It's not that easy as of taking off old clothes and putting on new. That's a pretty easy thing. It's difficult for us to do because change is difficult and failure in our sin is easy. Living like our old self can be easy. But here's the thing, our need for Christ in this, our need for God's grace and our sanctification is an amazing thing. This is great news. Why? If you're going to remember anything from the sermon, I want you to hear this. The same God who has secured your salvation is committed to your sanctification. The same God who has secured your salvation is committed to your sanctification. This means that in both times when you see growth, when you are practicing righteousness, and in the times in which you fail and you sin, you have a God who is pleased with you every step of the way. It's that same God. He's not giving up on you. To close, I want to leave you with some questions for you to ask yourself about your process of being sanctified. First, do you believe yourself righteous in the eyes of God? That's kind of the core question of this passage. Do you believe yourself to be righteous in the eyes of God, or do you believe yourself to be a sinner? Do you think of yourself as the old self, as a sinner? Because then if you say, okay, I'm a sinner, and I sometimes do righteous things, it makes sense when you sin. Because you think of yourself as a sinner. Or do you know that you're justified, and that Christ's righteousness is counted as your own? And so that in the eyes of God, you are righteous. It makes less sense if you think that you're righteous and you sin. The sin makes less sense. It makes more sense when you are sanctified and you are practicing righteousness if you believe yourself to be righteous in the eyes of God. Next, if you are a believer, have you seen God at work in your life? This is a tough one. A great way to know this is to ask those who are close to you maybe a spouse or friends, people you've known for a long time. Again, because we live with ourselves every day, it's difficult for us to see change. But like the escalator or like me at the end of a track season, can you look back and see, okay, like maybe there were some bumps in the road. But like I've actually seen God at work. God has been sanctifying me this whole time. Can you see it? Next, are you practicing spiritual discipline? And again, this is where you lose people because this is not to save you. This is not so that you can earn your way to hell. But spiritual discipline is an important practice as a Christian, right? And this looks different for every single person in here. And I can't just give you, you know, advice and say, like, this is how you need to practice it. Maybe you talk to Blake. He's a pastor who might know you better than I do. A lot of it, a good way to start is reading the Bible. And I know that sounds cliche, but it is a great way to start with spiritual discipline. And finally, do you believe that even in your times of sin, the God who sent himself to die for you has a love that cannot be driven away by your mistakes? Do you believe that? I hope and pray that you do. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com. 